Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to the June 16th edition of the PFF Forecast. We have a great episode today. We're doing the AFC South, and the only person that we could bring in to talk about that was our good friend Darius Butler. We talk, of course, about Julio, where he would rank Julio right now as a wide receiver, and the duo with A.J. Brown, whether he thinks the Colts should still be the favorite, why, why not, and then the path forward for the Jags, the Texans, what he would do if he were in a locker room and Deshaun Watson were the quarterback, and some really cool stuff on Andrew Luck. It's a couple of great Andrew Luck stories, the Flategate story, and an awesome recommendation. It is an awesome podcast. Let's rock. Eric, um, you, I don't know if you, can you see the pool behind me. I'm not sure. I just want to let you know that we're there both is... at pool. We're both we're both next to pools. You're probably in a little bit better one than me, but I had to I had to go outside. So I'm in I'm in Palm Springs. It is 106 degrees outside, and that's the level. Palm of Springs, the name of a movie that I used in recommendation. Good point. It's a good point. Now it's not why I'm here, but um, yes, I had to get a little little vitamin D. So I'm outside. Um, we're on the road, but that did not stop us from having an awesome conversation today, uh, with Darius Butler. He's also got some really good content that I wanted to, to let everyone know to go check out. He mentions it at the end of the podcast, but in case you don't get there all the way through, um, he's got a, a video coming out on two minute drill, which I think is going to be really interesting. I'm looking forward personally to seeing it. Darius always does a really good job. A lot of former players will come out and just give opinions on things and reference the fact they played in the league. Darius actually goes and does the work, which is awesome. And that's why he's really good at what he does. So as I said, we talked through the AFC South, all the Julio stuff. It is a great one. Let's get to Darius Butler. We now have the distinct honor of welcoming back our good friend, Darius Butler, at Darius Butler on Twitter. Everything uh, DB, the man-to-man pod with Antoine Bethay, which is a great listen. And I got to point this out, Darius. You know, it's the off season for many, not mm-hmm. for you, because you guys talk about not just football, talk about basketball, you talk about sports. I have even seen financial conversations on oh, that yeah. podcast. So I love the fact that you range. guys are doing it all, man. Range, man. It's all about range these days, man. People tune in and I get hit up just as much about, you know, stock market and crypto as I do about basketball and football. So, you know, give a little range. Nothing wrong with that. No, I, I mean, I actually think it's something Eric and I have been talking about. We'll do this at the end of this podcast, but we introduced a new segment um, that was aimed at doing exactly that, distributing the range a little bit um, and uh, broadening some rise. So we'll get to that at the end. We're going to start with the AFC South, and, and we've been waiting to do the AFC South uh, podcast for a little while here because we want to see what happened with Julio. Mm-hmm. because, you know, it, it obviously gets people very excited, but it changes a little bit of the conversation. Um, and obviously now he's in Tennessee. He's there with A.J. Brown. What seemed like, and Eric and I have talked about this a bunch, and I think we have talked about it too, maybe not on the podcast, but, you know, when you were here for the draft, like that, it was not a good offseason for the Titans. They lose Arthur Smith. They lose Corey Davis. They lose Jonu Smith. That's a lot to lose from an offense that was so dedicated to play action and was so explosive that way. Yeah. So. You see Julio go to Tennessee. What was your reaction when you saw the trade happen? I mean, initially it was exciting. You know, we, we've all kind of been expecting Julio to go somewhere. Um, Titans were one of the favorites. Uh, maybe the Patriots. The Patriots made some noise. I saw you want him to go to the Niners. And anywhere he landed, I think it would have been excitement because you just think about adding him as a piece. He's a weapon. He's almost like a, if he's healthy, kind of like a Kevin Durant in basketball, just someone who's going to fit in and you expect him to dominate. But, um, you know, he went, he went to the Titans and it was immediately think about, damn, okay, as a defender, 
how do I game plan to defend Derrick Henry in the backfield, who I think is responsible for, you know, a lot of Tannehill's success, which isn't a bad thing. I think you, you could say that for any quarterback that played with Derrick Henry um, in the backfield. And you got A.J. Brown on the other side, who's um, not a guy already in his, at this point in his career who you want to leave one-on-one a bunch. And you add Julio into that mix, like that's a tough uh, three-headed monster to prepare for if I'm a defense. And um, it's only going to make Tannehill better. So offense is scary, but then I, you know, immediately, okay, let me think about this defense. Because not only did they lose those pieces on the offensive side, they lost to Dory Jackson, they lost uh, Malcolm Butler. Um, and they weren't great on defense last year anyway, right. especially on the third down. So you lose those pieces, you got to rebuild. And if you don't have a good defense, typically you're not going to have a good special teams unit because that unit is, um, you know, I can almost look at that and know the depth of the defense is going to be how good that special team unit is. So um, still worried about them, still not that worried about them from a Colts fan. I still think they should be the favorite. I think you told me they are. Still the betting favorite coming in this season. If things work out there, man, I'm still I'm still heavy on that Colts train. Yeah, I think the, the interesting thing you bring up, which is the Adoree Jackson, Malcolm Butler, Desmond King was also like, you know, not that great last year. And I know a lot of times fans will say, yeah, but they weren't good last year. So who, yep. what do they really need to replace? And it's like, well, you actually need to get NFL players in there. And unfortunately, I think the last two off seasons drafts that have been pretty good. I think Caleb Farley should be a pretty good corner, but yeah, like, sure. I think the acclimation, right. And you could probably speak to this way better than the two of us can the acclimation of young defensive backs and young defensive players is going to be sketchier than it was last season and then this season just because of the lack of, like, you know, physicality in the offseason due to not having as many practices because of the pandemic. Yeah, especially if uh, a draft pick, regardless of how talented they are, if they aren't going into a situation that's conducive for them to come into and grow and learn from other good pros around them. Like uh, Okuda, I watched his college tape and I'm like, wow, like this is some of the best college tape I've ever seen. But he struggled kind of his rookie year because he wasn't, he didn't have a great pass rush, didn't have a lot of great other defenders in that, in that back end with him. Um, so it's tough. Like I expect a guy like Sertain to go in there and play well because that's, you know, the defensive coach, you know, the guys, if they're healthy, they're going to be getting after their quarterbacks. Um, he's got two, probably one of the best safety tandems in the league that he can play alongside. So I expect him to be kind of like a plug and play guy. But you bring in a guy talented as Caleb Farley. He just missed a year of football coming in. Yeah. He's not, you know, he, hopefully he's going to be fully healthy. He's young. He should be. But still, it's a huge, huge learning curve, especially when you talk about those critical uh, situations, the third down, the red zones. Those are things, those are positions as a corner, as a D-back. Like, you have to get beat by certain things. Like, you have to go through those struggles to learn and get better. So, um, uh, it, it's tough. There's still a lot of holes on that on that, uh, on that that team. But um, that offense, I mean, it's, it's still scary if Julio can stay healthy. Well, and, and, Colts. and you, you bring up pass rush. I, I was briefly talking about it. The Bud Dupree thing is an interesting one, right? Because from our statistics, like you're looking at a Titans team that may have thought they they solved their pass rush, but from our perspective, I am extremely skeptical of what Bud Dupree does once he leaves the nest full of TJ Watt, Cameron Hayward, and Stefan Tuitt. Like I I have to see that before I believe it. I, I'm 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 with you. I'm with you. We know the talent. Um, coming off an injury, like I said, with modern medicine, he he should be healthy. Um, hopefully he's healthy, but um, you playing on the other side of a guy like TJ Watt, it's one thing to be able to perform with that. But then when you go and you're the guy that we're saying, hey, we got to stop Dupree from wrecking this game. That's a that's a, that's a completely different ball game. So um, but I mean, I I, I think he's talented. I think it was it, it was they had to fill that hole. They had to draft Caleb Farley to fill that hole. And uh, hopefully those guys pan out. But like you said, it's kind of like you're not just like that's not a guy who you think. Okay, from day one, he's gonna come in and completely change. It's not like Miles Garrett hit the free agent market. Like it, it, it's it's a difference. Colts plus one hundred five, Titans plus one ten. They were both plus one ten, right after the Julio thing. Um, okay, that's that's pretty so, much the same. Yeah, pretty much the same. Now I'm not gonna. You will hear no Bud Dupree slander from me because <laughs> good player. Um, uh, I am. Uh, I'm gonna let my my W carry. I'm not gonna give him an opportunity to get one back on me. Cause remember Darius, when um, I think you came on the podcast after I said that the Pittsburgh Steelers were the most overrated team yep. in, uh, in the NFL and, and Bud Dupree, I think the other one was Eric Ebron 
were both were two of the Steelers players who, um, who retweeted <laughs> me and had a little fun with it. So because I have that, I want to let that W last. So I'm not smart, I, smart man. Not saying anything about Bud Dupree. Let me ask you, because uh, um, I think the defense is, is a great conversation. I want to talk about that more with the Colts. But I want you know a lot of thought about Julio, either very optimistic or very pessimistic, which is like, oh, no, no, he's like falling off a cliff. He's 30 blank years old. He played 400 snaps last year, all this stuff. In your mind, Julio Jones is a top what wide receiver still in five. the NFL? Five. Still top five, yeah. I mean, he because we're still talking about a guy who, you know, if healthy, he's kind of, he's he, like when you talk about wide receivers, if you talk to players at least, they'll say, okay, it's Julio Jones. And then, you know, you start talking about the other guys. Um, not the same as like Aaron Donald and the rest of the other guys. Like it's not that wide a gap, but a healthy Julio is just different. He, he's, when you see him get off the bus, he's already intimidating as a, as a, as a player. You know, he's going to win that battle. Then when he steps on the field and he actually, okay, he's coming out of his breaks, just like a guy who's 5'11", a buck 90 coming out of breaks. And he's 6'4", 230. Like it's just different. His catch radius um, just all these different things that make him who he is. So is he, if he's healthy, he's still a top five receiver, in my opinion. And like I said, A.J. Brown, he's no slouch. So it's not like a if I'm a D coordinator, I'm like, OK. A.J. Brown can go for 70 the same way that Julio can. <laughs> so it's yeah. like it, 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 it's tough on third down who you double. And then once again, you still got 22 in the backfield who can hit you for 70. Um, so, it, I mean, that offense is, is you know, they got a lot of freak shows over there on the offensive side of the ball. So it's really going to be like for them feeding a hot hand, keeping defenses off balance and um, staying ahead of the sticks. If they can stay ahead of the sticks um, to where they can't tip their hand if it's going to be a run or a pass, uh, they're going to be a tough team, you know, to get off the field. But, you know, the defense is going to have to stop somebody. As a, yeah, You bring up such a great point about Henry where – I think like the normal running back progression it would have been for Henry to struggle this year because, you know, you're talking about so many touches and you're talking about such a big yeah. guy. And I think in a weird way, having this wide receiver duo is going to cause fewer men in the box and it's going to give Henry maybe at least another year of being like of a st statistically the, be the best running back in football um, sort of bringing this back. So, Brown, Jones, a terrific pass-catching duo. What are your, like, top four or five in the NFL uh, pass-catching duos? Man, before I even get to that, you just made me think of something. With, with these receivers on the field, you're almost going to – they're going to almost force a defense to put smaller bodies on the field. Mm -hmm. So just the different body types that's going to be hitting Henry all year yeah. is going to be different. I was just thinking about that. But um, if I'm thinking duos um, – Obviously, AJ and Julio. And you can include a tight end in the duo. Okay. I think that's important. Okay. So, important. So, so, so you want Ridley and Pitts in there. I can't put Pitts in there yet. I haven't seen him catch yeah. a pass in the league yet. I won't put him in Atlanta yet, but I'll go. Shit, if – I mean, sorry about that. Uh, Odell, if he's healthy, he's another guy who I think mm. a lot of people have kind of forgotten about. But if he's healthy and motivated, I mean, and obviously we know who Jarvis is. So that that they got to be in my top five. Um, got Hill, Je Jefferson Kelsey. did uh, Jefferson and Thielen. Mm -hmm. They got Hill and Kelsey for damn sure. Uh, let me think. I feel like I'm missing somebody. Got Evans and either either Godwin or AB. Yeah, and I'm curious Godwin. who who would you put like which is the better duo? I, I you know Godwin's so he's been so consistent. Antonio yeah. Brown though, you know when he's right, is still as hard a person to cover as there is. He is. He is. Just I would say right now I would give the edge to Evans and uh, and Godwin just because mm -hmm. they've you know played more snaps together. And I feel like Godwin got a little inconsistent down the stretch in the playoffs. And um, you know, AB made the biggest plays in the Super Bowl. True. So I know that's not going anywhere in Brady's mind. He made me more of a little go-to player in certain uh, significant situations. But right now I still give the edge to Evans and Godwin. Um, damn, I feel like I'm missing somebody. But um, how many was that? I had to be four or five. Here's one I'll bring up that may that I think is underrated in the out of the NFC West. I think Cooper Cup and Robert Woods is a combo that I don't think anybody is ever putting in this conversation, but are are probably like one. I I don't know if they're top five, you, but you know one what? That is honorable mention. 
I wouldn't be surprised if 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 DJ with, with Stafford, if he can go out there and like because that completely changes things. Cause even as DB, I think about Woods and Cup, but I don't see either one of them as really a home run hitter. Yeah. Like both guys who you know you can give Woods the speed sweep, you know, Cup is gonna win around the sticks. But when you have that uh that fact that X factor with Deshaun coming in with a guy like Stafford who can still stretch the field. That could be a scary trio. And then Dallas. That's uh, Dallas. I mean, Dallas, you got Cooper, Gallup, and uh Lamb. I think all could be ones if they had wow. to. So um, I'll probably I would probably put Dallas actually as my top group as a duo. I think it's still uh Hill and Kessia. Yeah, yeah, at this time next year, maybe we'll be talking about Jamar Chase and T. Higgins in that conversation. Who knows? But I, I, I wouldn't be, I feel I wouldn't like be that surprised. Be pretty good. I wouldn't yeah, be surprised. And, and Ridley, you know, the funny thing about Ridley and Pitts is, you know, like the Calvin Ridley conversation, I think, is just as interesting as the Kyle Pitts conversation because Calvin Ridley was amazing. I mean, he was incredible and he was incredible in a season where Julio Jones did miss a bunch of time. Yeah. So you don't have that, you know, oh, well, he had Julio on the other side at all times. Not not at all. You know, and um, he and now I feel gets- like honestly, Matt Ryan left a lot of yards. Like there was a lot more yards for Ridley to have mm. if he had, you know, a, a, like Matt Ryan left him short on on some big plays last year. So it's a lot of a lot of meat left on that bone. Let's let's talk. So both these teams basically Colts and Titans. They're essentially the same in, in terms of the odds right now in Vegas to win it all. In your mind, though, you said the Colts. Or should still be the favorite. Um, how big of a favorite should they be and why? What are the kind of the top one, two reasons why you'd have the Colts ahead of the Titans? I would I, w- I would say the Colts would, if I had, I would say they're probably a game and a half better than the Titans. Wow. Just because of their balance. Um, because in, in, in football, like one side of the ball is going to struggle. One position group is going to struggle. You may have a run on injuries on one side of the ball, and the other side has to kind of pick it up. So when those things happen in the season, um, I think I feel like the Colts are more built to withstand those type of things, and they can kind of create balance going into every game, a nasty weather game, on the road, you know, at home, wherever that game is. But, you know, that's I feel like Carson Wentz is the biggest question mark there. Is he going to perform how I think he will being back with Frank Wright? And that O-line and that running back stable, I, I'm just – I'm bullish on him going into next year. And then Tannehill, he's been good. And now you give him more weapons, but I feel like that defense is going to take a step back from being a below-average defense. So that's – the and once again, that's special teams. You know, you can't count out the special teams. Special teams have been a, a good group um, for the Colts when, when everybody's healthy. Um, so so I, that's why I would give them the edge. But, um, yeah, I, I, I would stick with the Colts on that edge for sure. So do you for those reasons? Because I I think when I look at this, because we we were talking about this, and I, I've been as negative on Carson Wentz as anybody during the Eagles time. <laughs> but I like you look too. you look back and and at his receivers with the Eagles, and like aside from last year, he played passable football without receivers. That really did. like in the Super Bowl year, Jeffrey and and Aguilar and uh, Torrey Smith and, and the tight ends all played well. But aside from that, like he's really gotten no help from the wide receiver position and he's been decent or, or better every season, except for last year where he was awful. Right. The Colts, I think certainly passed that bar at wide receiver. They're not great there, but they're not a complete nightmare. And the offensive line is good enough. I think for Wentz to at least be passable. And if he's, a six out of 10 this year. I think the rest of the Colts are strong enough to make a case to be that favorite there, even if the AFC is top. And and do you agree with this, Darius? We, we had this discussion last week. I think, I think the Colts, I, I think the Colts can't beat everybody in the AFC, like in a one game sample, but I mm-hmm. don't think they can lose to as many really bad teams. I think the Titans can beat Kansas city on, on a given Sunday. They could beat Tennessee I mean, or sorry, Buffalo on a given Sunday. But they're also like they, because their defense is so bad, they could lose to any team on any given Sunday. I think they're just a wider distribution uh, of outcomes. Yeah, I mean, it, that the Carson Wentz thing is, I would think he would have if he can be a seven and a half out of ten. I think they can beat any team on, on any given Sunday because 
he has I know I, I can watch him. I can still see he has the physical talent to be. So that's the first thing I look at. Okay, does this guy still have the physical talent to be good? And then it all becomes kind of between the ears. Like, is he confident in the guys blocking for him? Are the guys blocking for him confident in him? Are the receivers get to the right spot? Are they gonna are they gonna lay out? Is he gonna protect them? Like you start looking at those type of things, and I think he's in a in a perfect situation for him to kind of just you know, take a deep breath in. Cause I mean, I think I see him more, more than just a football player, you know, even as a person, like being in the Midwest, being back with the guy he's comfortable with. Cause I saw him in Philly. He just didn't look comfortable like at all, you know, in press conference, whenever he talks to the press, when teammates talked about him, when he had to talk about teammates, having to request a trade, being benched, um, it, him and Peterson, who knows what the hell was going on there, uh, really. So it's like, I just feel like he's in an overall better situation. And then um, even a guy like T.Y., like I, I wouldn't have been afraid of T.Y. Hilton with Phillip Rivers at quarterback. Um, but with Carson Wentz at quarterback, that's a different conversation. You know, you got Pittman coming into his own. You got Paris Campbell being back healthy. He's going to be motivated. Um, it's just a lot of reasons Matt came back. I don't know how the hell he got Matt back on that deal. Uh, with Hines and, and Taylor and what they did last year. So it's just a lot of reasons why I look at that team. I look at that offense and I say, man, this could be a really good year for that offense and for Carson Wentz. And um, if it's anywhere close to where I think it can be, I think that whole team, how Chris Ballard has built it, uh, can, can, can do some some really good things this year. Yeah, the Colts. I mean, it's, it's, you know, this, I have no Colts bias at all. Though. Not, none. None whatsoever. Um <laughs> No affiliation, no, you know, um, there's no reason for you to come in and talk about the Colts in any other way than a very no. rational human would. Um, the Carson Wentz thing, okay, so you, I think you make a great point, Eric, which is like, look, the wide receivers in Philly were terrible. And when he was good in 2017, and he wasn't actually that bad in 2018, both those years he had over a 110 pass rating from a clean pocket. They had a top five offensive line. The Colts, number two in our offensive line rankings. Like, they, they're fantastic there. Um, and all the things we just said, I do think, lead you to – you feel actually maybe better about Carson Wentz's floor than we probably should after seeing last season. But I still – all the things you just mentioned make me really curious about what happens in a important playoff game, you know, on mm -hmm. the road, right, where – man, like you have to deal with some adversity at some point in life and, and come out the other side of it. Um, and it just yeah, doesn't yeah. seem like he's done that, you know? He, I, I, would, I, would, I definitely would question his mental toughness. And, and I think a lot of mental toughness things come from confidence. If you don't have real confidence in yourself and the 10 guys around you, and then in reverse, knowing that those 10 guys around you, especially as a quarterback, I've had to feel this as a defender, as a slot defensive corner. If you don't feel like everybody out there has that confidence in you, um, you know, that can that can weigh on you. So I, hopefully he's in the right place to, to kind of get over that. But I would definitely, um, it's, I think it's fair to question his mental toughness at this point. And that kind of goes back to the balance of that team, of that roster. Like you go into a tough road playoff game you need to win. Maybe that defense just steps up and plays a lights out game. You know, they have guys, Buckner, um, uh, Blackman, he, he he played great as a rookie. Kenny Moore, like Xavier Rose can step up and play, you know, top flight, all pro type ball. So we have guys who can, if they're on the right pace, Darius Leonard, obviously, the first round of Quiddy Pay, we'll see we'll get out of him. But they have pieces. And then, you know, you still have continuity with the same play caller. So um, on the defense yeah. side of the ball, at least. So, um, you know, you have that balance that you can go in and lean on other position groups and you don't have to go out there and be a guy who goes – you know, 31 for 36 for 359 yards to win a game. Like he can hand the ball off to that stable 35 times and maybe throw it 20 times and win a ball game. So, um, you know, I, but I, I, like I said, it's very, very fair to question uh, Wentz's mental toughness at this point. I, I did the same thing. It's it's interesting, Eric, that so, you know, you mentioned that you feel like the Titans, I agree with this 100%. Like both, say both teams make it to the playoffs fully healthy. Then all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, the Titans, you know, Julio healthy, A.J. Brown healthy, Brian Tannehill healthy. Like, that is terrifying. But the Titans are actually – they're a longer, a longer shot to win the AFC uh, than the Colts. Colts 12-1, to 1, Titans 13-1. to 1. So if I'm thinking about betting them in, in any way, shape, or form, 
I might just bet the Titans to win the AFC at 13 to one instead of plus 110 to win the division, especially knowing that through the course of the season, I think about this actually, Darius, with the Bucs. Like we talked about the Bucs. I was like, no, you should bet the Saints to win the division. But if you're thinking about where the, you know, the, the Bucs can eventually overtake them, it could be that way by the end of the season. And that's exactly what we saw. Yeah, going yeah. into – go ahead, Eric. Well, the Colts are minus 182 to make the playoffs. The Titans are minus 167. And the fact that their AFC championship gods are so close, 12 to 1, 13 to 1, suggests like what we're talking about, which is if they get in, they much like they did in 2019, they can give the pay, you know, they get they beat the Patriots. They they crushed uh the Ravens. They had a 10-point lead in Arrowhead in the AFC title game. Like they have that kind of capabilities. We still still need in the Frank Reich era, I think Frank Reich, Chris Ballard have done such an amazing job of dealing with, like, you know, Andrew Luck retired. Uh, yeah. You know, um, Philip Rivers was a one-year guy. They did so many they, – they've had instability at, at the league's most important position, and they've been such a respectable franchise during that time. But, like, the next thing they need to show – and I, they did beat Kansas City in 19. I think it was kind of a weird game. Yeah, but like, is injured, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They need – they nah, need he was out the there. He was out there. Yeah, they need to show the capability to go to – and they did with Buffalo, which, and Buffalo was the hottest team in football when they played him yeah. in, the, in the playoffs. But, like, they – I guess, like, my intuition is just, like, I can't see them beating a great team. And, and I think that that's, like, what the market numbers reflect. Yeah, I mean, like I said, and this is strictly football-based. Like, I can see them being – I see them having the – like I can, I can see Carson Wentz getting hot and, and playing well because things are going good around him. I can see him if he needs to go out and make some plays, make some throws to to beat a a Kansas City team. I think that defense can keep him close enough in games because um, I don't. It's not a situation where I feel like, like I feel like Stafford may have to do more in L.A. for that team to go in, and, and compete for a championship than Wentz will have to do for the Colts because of how the team is built around him. So um, I don't know. I can I can see Carson kind of uh, kind of living up to those moments just because it won't be as many. I don't think Carson Wentz I could be wrong. Carson Wentz PFF grade by season, so rookie year, mm. or whatever. Throw that out. Ooh, I didn't even hear that last last year. <laughs> Twenty seven. Well, we're gonna get there. Twenty seventeen. So right, he plays what twelve games. Eighty five. He finished the year sixth overall. He was playing really well. Now he had a one twenty five pass rating on third down. It was. It was he picked up so many third and tens. It was there was a lot of right side of variance in that season. 2018, he gets the wrong side of variance. They're they're not doing well in fourth down. Receivers are dropping a ton of passes. He still has 110 pass rating from a clean pocket. Everything else falls apart. 79 PFF grade, 14th in the league. 2019 gets a little bit worse. 76 PFF grade, 16th overall in the league. And then last year, 65 PFF grade, worst grade he's ever had, 29th. Uh, in the league and was the very last through the highest rate of negatively graded throws. Those were throws that are uncatchable or interceptable or whatever. It was, it was like, honestly, like really hard to watch. Oh, yeah. um, okay. So you kind of have seen the ceiling, Darius, if you get, let's just say you get top, not top five, but maybe top, uh, top 10 between mm -hmm. six and 10, the Colts, can win a Super Bowl with that Carson Wentz, yes or no? Uh, I would say no. I would say no. I, 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 I think you need, with, with how the quarterbacks are in today's game, you need a top six guy to, to, to win a Super Bowl. Like I, ju I just don't see it happening otherwise. Um, I don't see their defense being – you know, that good to the point where they can carry that, like the old Baltimore Ravens defense mm -hmm. or something like that. When carry a guy like, you know, I don't I don't see that being the case. So I would say a top six guy. If you look at the last few Super Bowls, I mean, yeah. those are the guys that are that are playing in there. Outside of probably Jimmy G, I don't think hey. he was a top six guy, but that defense was, I feel like, an elite defense. Um, that I don't know what the numbers say, but I know watching that defense, I'm like, wow, this is a damn good defense. Amazing. From front, you know, you got guys you can rush for, and the guys behind him can play discipline. Um, you know, that gave him a chance. So I don't think Jimmy G was maybe a top six guy. And that's when you saw it. That's why they lost the Super Bowl. Why, there yeah. were two throws I can think of off top that were like, you know, he makes those throws, Man. they win that game. 
We we, Sorry, we have George. a rule where we don't go back. We've, <laughs> le- we've legislated that those those throws. Yeah, George's mind. No, I I think it's a good point though. I, and it's interesting, you know, we've talked about this now with a few teams, Darius, where it's like, and you've probably played on some of these teams too. So I, I'm very curious your thought. You know, you're as a player, you obviously have to believe, oh, we can win the Super Bowl in a year, or how else, you know, how the hell else are you going to get out of bed in the morning? But from a yeah. fan's perspective, you have some, a lot of these teams that are maybe having a real conversation with themselves where they go, you know what, if we don't have a quarterback that can be a top five, top <laughs> six guy, like, like, you know, like what, what is it that we are rooting for, you know? And like, yeah. am I, am I really just rooting for something to happen wonky where I now get a chance at that guy? And I think about like what the bears tried to do, you know, going and getting fields, um, what mm-hmm. the Panthers did not do, what the Broncos have yet to do. And it's like, what, you know, so like, what should, what are players thinking? What are fans thinking? It feels like a very different, you know, what, where they should be aligned is actually very different if you're trying to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like you said, everybody goes until, you know, you open up training camp, that first meeting, your GM walks in, your head coach and your team owner, everybody speaks. And the goal is to go in and win a Super Bowl. You got to be, you got to be a believer in that, obviously, if you're in that room, but as a player, you know, you're year six, seven, you know, you can kind of look around the room, look around the division, look around the conference and, okay, you know, some some things will have to happen for us to actually compete for a Super Bowl. And I feel like a lot of the fans, if they know what they're watching and, you know, they feel the same way, you know, you need to know some things just have to happen. So if you don't have one of those guys, um, you know, taking the snaps, it's, um, but it's still football. So you got to go out there and play. You got to go out there and cheer every week and, and, hold out hope for something crazy to happen but in my opinion if you don't have one of these top guys uh, or a guy who can at least play at that level in spurts like if I'm a Ravens fan like I don't feel like I feel like we got a a shot I feel like Lamar can be the best player in the league in spurts we've seen him do it for a season so um, but if you're a guy uh, and I won't call out any specific quarterbacks but if you have a certain guy taking snaps you don't really feel like this guy even at his best can give us a, a real shot, you know, in December and January to win it. So it is, it is a tough position to be in. Let's um, I did. I, I do want to ask you about uh, an Andrew Luck story at the end, but let's, let's finish up yep. the conversation with this, uh, with this division a little bit. Um, Eric and I have been on the Jacksonville is a good long shot train for a little while. You do not feel similarly, or at least did not. Um, now they took Travis Etienne in the first round. I'm not as jazzed about that. You know, it, certainly they could have used some other positions. Um, what's your Especially feeling right now on that? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, let, me, let me ask it to you then this way. Jacksonville will be the best team in this division in blank years. <clears throat> what's that number? Man. That, you know, it, it's, it could be as, as soon as – Two, it could be because we we saw it with Blake Bortles. You know, if you make the right moves, you have a defense like that. I mean, it could be Trevor Lawrence is a guy, at least coming into it. You know, I haven't seen him play any NFL snaps, but you know, just based off the guys that I've seen, I think this is a guy who has the talent to play at that top six uh level. Um, you know, pretty soon here if they put the pieces around him. But um it's a lot of ifs, it's a lot of questions. There's a lot of moving parts. You got a new head coach with no NFL experience. Um, hearing some of the things coming out of what happened in the Panthers, you know, locker rooms or practice schedules or things like that, who just it just was kind of like, whoa. I, I wouldn't be surprised if those same things, you know, happen in, in Jacksonville. You know, you got a new mm-hmm. head coach, you got um, you know, a new strength and conditioning guy from, from college. You just got a lot of moving parts. So um, Trevor Lawrence, I'm not worried about Trevor Lawrence. I think he'll be all right. But how does how is the ecosystem around him? It's not like a winning organization. It's not like he's coming into, you know, the Ravens or the Seahawks or Pittsburgh, you know, where winning is the expectation. Like that has to – they had to create that foundation. And uh, Urban's been a winner. Trevor's been a winner. Uh, it, the guys in the building, a lot of them have been winner. Tebow, if he stays in the building, these guys have won <laughs> on a high level. So it's not like you got guys who haven't um, seen what championship level uh, football it, it looks like. So um, they got to. Ch- I give them a chance, but um, right now uh, it's a lot of question marks there because of those reasons. But um, as early as two, and then obviously you know never still Jacksonville we're talking about. Yeah, Darius, because there are some legitimate aspects to this team. Like I think Daryl Bevel is a 
was a tremendous hire for them um, to, to shepherd a young quarterback through year one. I think, you know, Gardner Minshew's a legitimate backup quarterback. They have, you know, pass catchers. They, they drafted CJ Henderson's a good corner. Like they've done, I Very think good. a decent, Love that yeah, a decent job in many ways. When you're a player though, on a team like that and they do the Tebow thing, right. Or there was the strength coach from Iowa where they hire him and fire him. They, they, and the, they hired and fired an analytics guy within like three, four months, um, you know, a, a high profile name in that space. Like there have been some sort of sideshows there. Yeah. Is that when, when you're a player and, and you're trying, because the weird thing about Jacksonville and you brought up Carolina and I think it's an apt comparison because Carolina has, has not been great over the past, you know, they've been fits and starts, but they've had like basically the same coach the whole time. And then they, they rip off the bandaid and they go with a new coach Jacksonville, unlike, you know, the jets, unlike the Browns, unlike a lot of these teams that have struggled in the past decade, the Jags really went with like two coaches over the last eight years. And Mm -hmm. so like Marone was around forever for a guy who never won other than one year. So they ripped the bandaid off. They go with urban Meyer and since that has happened, there have been like legitimate things of what I just described or what you described it with like Lawrence and so forth. But there are also been like all these sideshows as a player. What do you like? Are, are people able to compartmentalize away those things? Hell yeah. If you win <laughs> or okay. if you're in that building and you feel like you're taking the steps forward, if you've been, um, you know, on teams that have won, if you've been a part of organizations um, you know, in the past that have ones, you know, you know what it looks like, you know what it feels like. Now, Urban Meyer doesn't know what that looks and feels like. Trevor Lawrence doesn't know what that looks and feels like. So those things are important. How many veterans do you have in those meeting rooms who knows how to conduct, you know, a winning championship level meetings, walkthroughs, practices, et cetera. Um, shit, you got to know when to rest, when to pull it back and know, hey, you know, we're banged up here, we're banged up there. Let's change some things here and there. Those are going to kind of be the moving parts and uh, being able to listen to your players, to your coaches, your strength and conditioning, to your nutrition people. And then you got, you're adding on an extra game as well. So everybody's kind of adjusting. So um, it's, it's just a lot of things, uh, but the side shows won't matter if you're winning, if we're seeing progression now, if we're not, and we're seeing, you know, things happen in practice, things happen in meeting rooms, things happen traveling, whatever it may be logistics wise, it's just not, you don't feel like it's pro. That's when things can go down here. You can kind of see, be like a Detroit situation where guys leave the building and they're like, oh my gosh, this place was that or that, you know, that those things are just as important as the on field things. I think Irving will be fine on the field. He's won everywhere he's been. He knows football. Anybody that I've talked to that's played for him say, hey, he's one of the smartest football guys I've ever been around. And um, so I, I'm not concerned with them there, but it's about the other things, you know, culture-wise. Uh, we hear that word thrown around a lot, but um, they're going to have to build that culture with a young group of guys. And, um, you know, I saw Luck come into a building early on and play, you know, he played well, and but that culture was kind of already there. You still had Reggie mm-hmm. Wayne. You still had Robert Matthews. You still had Adam Vinatieri. You had Anthony Costanzo. Like, these guys, um, you know, who knows what it looks like, who's been around those type of things. So um, that's going to be the challenge. Uh, but we'll see, man. You got a, a group of hungry guys and you got a division where, you know, it, we've seen the Jacksonville, uh, you know, win it, win it and play well and be a game away from the AFC Championship a few years ago. So we know it's possible if the resources are put there and if, the, you know, the right players and the right culture is built there. Let's wrap up here uh, on the this division. I have some uh, some rap fire questions at the end, but we've got to talk about the Texans just for a second. What if you're the GM of the Texans, serious? Um, like, what's the path to the Houston Texans being relevant, given what they've got right now, which is a lot of players that no one's heard of, and then one player that everyone's heard of. But God, I mean, is there a bigger question mark? Yeah as a human and as a football player, as there is with Deshaun Watson. So like, what's the path there for Houston? I mean, it's, it's a risk. It's a a nightmare situation for Nick, you know, Nick Casario at a GM spot. And then at the head coach, you know, coach Cully been there as well. It's just a, your quarterback, even, okay, he didn't want to play there, but now you got the legal issues. So it's not even like you could maybe even put a trade in and get assets where you can say, okay, we've lost all this draft capital in the past. At least this is the plan. This is what we're going going forward. So it's a tough position to be in. Uh, the good part about it is absolutely no pressure on you to win. 
this year. Like nobody expects you to win this year. Nobody expects you to be good this year. So once again, if you're that head coach, if you're that general manager, this is when you start to kind of, okay, even we're, even though we're not going to win a Super Bowl, we're not going to do these type of things, we're still going to do things the right way. We're still going to create this culture. And hopefully as a GM, you can keep your job long enough to where you can start getting pieces into the building, uh, whether it's coaching guys, uh, you know, front office, players that can come in there and kind of turn this franchise around. Because you got Deshaun Watson, who was the face of the organization. J.J. Watt was also the face of the organization. These guys have moved on, so it's a completely different chapter. Um, and like I said, there's no expectation there right now. Um, you do have a quarterback in Todd Taylor who has, you know, one and can give you a chance, uh, you know, on Sundays. But the roster that they have and then obviously what's going on off the field with Deshaun Watson is just a, a nightmare situation, um, you know, if you're anywhere in that building. Ike, I was talking to Eric about this, and it was like I, I saw that, um, you know, there was a uh, – I forget who it was. It was Kareem Jackson was saying, um, you know, I talked to Deshaun Watson. He wants to come to Denver. And you look at the – right now, I guess they're just allegations or whatever, but there's mm -hmm. a lot of them, you know, 20-plus yep. or whatever. And regardless of what happens legally, I, I just can't imagine what – you know, what happens when that guy walks into a locker room, you know, like um, that, to, that to me it, is the thing that blows. My yeah, mind. it really would. It really depends on, on, on how it plays out and, you know, what facts come out and and, you know, if it's a legal settlement outside of it, because once once you have the settlement. And this is just my me personally speaking for like you don't really know what happened, what did or didn't happen. You don't really, you don't really. So as a player, somebody comes in the building, it's like, okay, you have, what, what were the facts? What are the facts saying? Then what does this person say? What have you heard from about this person from other people? Because it's not like a, this is kind of a small fraternity. So mm -hmm. if you, you can ask five guys about one person and typically you kind of get similar things. So um, if, it's, if it's a guy who you only heard good things about, and he comes in that building, you're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Now, if it's a guy where certain things come out, that's it can go the other way. So that'll be an iffy situation, but um, we'll see how it plays out legally. But as a from the football side of things, you know, we play. I know personally, I played with some guys who've done some very, very, uh, you know, questionable things, bad things. And uh, as a professional, as a football player or whatever, you go out there and it's, it's this guy helping to us win the game on Sunday. We're trying to win the game. He's helping put food on my plate, vice versa. So um, you definitely can put certain things aside when it comes to winning ball games on Sunday. But, um, you know, last year you saw something happen with Earl Thomas and the Ravens in practice, locker room, things like that. And it was just like, hey, whatever situation we're happening, we can't deal with it in the building. This guy got to go. And once you kind of yeah. get flushed out of that Ravens culture, you know, everybody's kind of like, you know, hands off. So uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how things play out. Yeah, once once Earl Thomas became went from being a 10 out of 10 to an 8 out of 10, it was not worth dealing with them anymore, you know. And, like, that's yeah. that's always it. And Deshaun Watson from on the field is a 9.5 or 10 out of 10, right? And that's always going to exactly. factor in. Everybody is, everybody is going to consider that um, with, when talking about him. I, I'm interested in, in – I'm interested in the in the number for the Titans at four and a half um, because or sorry, the Texans, I'm sorry, at four and a half, because like I think that 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 has some like probability that Watson eventually plays some games for them baked in because that team is so bad. And I <laughs> and I like Tyrod Taylor a lot, but like that number's so bad that I can't I, I have a hard time seeing that team quarterback by Davis Mills half the time and Tyrod Taylor the other half of the time winning five games. I'm right there with you. It'll be tough. The only the only thing they have they, they play the Jags twice a year. We don't know what you know what's that gonna what's that gonna be there. And then um, that's really the only thing going for them, honestly, right now. Just because that the Jags are a big question mark for me still. They have pieces there, but they can be a, a, a you know a clown show as well this year. But um, we'll see. But I I would take the under on that one. I think the thing that we have to – I think the thing I'm trying to do with the Texans is not try, – trying not to judge the people who just got there for the sins of the people who just left. Past, like yeah. David Culley, yeah. I think, like deserves a clean slate even though, you know, I think we're all sort of – he's like one of the top few coaches in that list of like most likely to be fired first. It's like really he just got there. He's not responsible for any of this shit. Like, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'm kind of like – it's a tough one because, again, there's organizational dysfunction, but there's also people 
going there trying to make a living and stuff. So it's just a it's yeah. a really rough situation. It is definitely no fault of their own. It's been uh, terrible from the top down um, to the point where, you know, Andre Johnson came and spoke out about it and which he never yeah. speaks out about things. So um, it's definitely not on the new guys there. I feel very, very bad for Cully. He's coming in. These are all the questions he has to deal with. And like I said, he has to create um, a winning environment. Like that's his job as a head coach. His job is to motivate the guys in that locker room for them to believe that they can go out there and compete um, every Sunday. And uh, so if they're dealing with things from the top, if you have no control of uh, as a player, uh, it, it's tough to do as a head coach. You're kind of that go-between. So I, ho I hope he gets a fair shot, um, but it, it's tough for, honestly, a lot of people in that building. I mean, even Nick Casario, new GM coming in, I don't think he's getting a, a, a fair shot. But, you know, I guess it's kind of life. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any – I think anyone has any delusions of grandeur in terms of David Kelly being the coach when they're relevant again. Mm -hmm. But I think Casario – Pro, you know, is going to get a shot to be there, right? Like that's that's the weird thing about that dynamic. Yeah, true. When Cully was hired, it felt very much like a oh, look, Deshaun Watson, we're bringing in a guy that you know people didn't think we would go hire. You know, you yep. should now be on board with us, and and you know that whole situation totally went in the shitter, right? Mm -hmm. But like that felt like such a desperation, weird move, and I don't think he's going to get a long leash because I don't think anyone there believes that he's actually going to be the guy going forward um so yeah houston I, i'm with you guys on on the under there by the way uh jacksonville their number is what do you have in front of you eric uh 800 to win the division win total is it six and a half still is six and a half overs plus 118 uh i feel like that is a smash for what darius said in reverse they get two games against houston so you're basically looking at a 15 game season of winning four and a half <laughs> and I, you know, last place schedule. I think they get, I think they get a relative. Yeah, I, I like it. I mean, um, and I think, I, I do think that we're over over, uh, generalizing the the Urban Meyer situation. I do think that there are some legitimate parts of that team that will get the thing on the get the the car on the street. Let's say, Darius. Um... Some other uh, awards out here that might um, that are that are interesting to think about, or other bets that are interesting to think about. First is uh, an award, comeback player of the year. So we've talking about uh, Carson Wentz here. He is nine to one. Dak Prescott, the overwhelming favorite. You've got Saquon mm. Barkley six to one, Joe Burrow six to one, McCaffrey six to one, Nick Bosa seven to one, and then your guy Carson Wentz. You like Carson Wentz comeback player of the year at nine to one? Nine to one. Who else was at nine to one? I think. Uh, he's the only one, and then you've got Julio at fourteen. Uh, Sam Darnold. At I like 14. Carson. Yeah, that's that's a good bet. That's a good bet, just with the pieces around him. Um, and I think he can. He can. I think he can play really well this year. Um, Christian McCaffrey. That could be a good one as well. Saquon. You got a lot of pass catchers that they put around him, so you're gonna have to allocate some defensive resources to that. Uh, what, what was Saquon? What was Sa Saquon is six to one. Oh Burrow, yeah, I, six yeah, I like to one. I'll take Carson. Yeah, the, the interesting thing about Wentz, um, and we're talking about this with Prescott, is like, you know, I I almost feel more. I, I think I would bet Prescott as an MVP, um, you know, uh, bet where he's where I'm getting a lot longer odds than I than I would a comeback mm -hmm. player of the year because I think he's definitely capable of having that kind of a season. I and think he should be the favorite there. Yeah, you know, so um, I think that one's interesting. Let's look at uh, – I was just thinking about this one this morning. Defensive player of the year. And and Eric and I have talked about this a bunch where it's like, man, defense is such a crapshoot. Donald is four to freaking one uh, to win it all uh, for defensive player of the year. Miles Garrett is six to one. TJ Watt, seven. Nick Bosa, 11. Joey Bosa, 12 to one. Chase Young, 16 to one. Khalil Mack, 20 to one. You finally get a defensive back with Derwin James at 25 to oh, one. Wow. That's the first um, one. Yeah. That's the first one. What, what's your take on anything defensive player of the year? Is there, is there a guy? I want, that, I don't even know if you have his odds pulled up, but we kind of talked on the Panthers a little earlier. I am so high on Brian Burns. Wow. Like, I, I wouldn't, I would, that would, what are his odds? It's gotta be like a hundred to something just crazy. But I will go Brian Burns. I would not be surprised. Yeah, he's he 100 to 1. 
I would not be surprised if he takes a step and is like a 16, 17 sack guy this year. I wouldn't be shocked at all. That is a Plus nice... that division, you go from Breeze being a quick drop back thrower mm-hmm. to Jameis or Taysom, probably less pocket awareness, so you get more sacks in that realm. Um, Brady, obviously, uh, you know, at some point Brady's got to fall off, maybe not this year, mm-hmm. but that's not a bad bet to make. And then obviously Matt Ryan. Atlanta, yeah. Uh, yeah, so like that division's right for it too. Um, yeah, you three. You got three pocket guy. You got you got some statues, but I mean, but not like you know the the, the guys who move around. They usually get sacked the most. Uh, you know, Russ gets sacked a lot. Um, right. But I, I mean, just burn just his just watching him, and I, I I thought he would have a better year last year. I mean, not that he did, but I expected the jump that he made going into last year. And another year at the system, you, you went and got uh you went and got Horn in the first round, so he should immediately upgrade your coverage. Um, you got Jackson on the other side, you got Chin who could do a lot of things, um, can help you out on the defensive side of the ball. Derek Brown, like it's just a lot of pieces on that side of the ball, and I just see him being head and shoulders like the best player on that defense and possibly one of the best you know players in the league defensively. I like that, I the one bet that I was thinking of making is Khalil Mack at twenty to one who you think about the uncertainty with Rodgers. And then, you know, so you, you say that gives the Bears a really nice shot at winning the division. And he, from a grading perspective last year, was amazing. Our number one defensive end. Um, and you, I just don't think that's priced in. I think it's a lot about yeah. sack numbers that people look at. And Khalil Mack, for some reason, has just like fallen off people's radars in terms of being a freak athlete on the outside. Everyone talks about Miles Garrett, talk about TJ Watt, talk about the Bosa brothers, Chase Young is new. Um, So at 20 to one, that was a bet that, uh, that I was considering making. All right. um, Just two quick ones. What's your, uh, what's your favorite Andrew Luck story? Oh man. Um, I can't think of one that really stands out, honestly. Is that is that uh, the perfect Andrew Luck story, though? Like I it's, mean, it, it's like, yeah, it's just, you know, it's the I most mean, consistent thing ever. He, I mean, he was just, we were, I mean, he, the one thing about Luck, um, so I played with Brady. I came to the league, played with Brady. I went and played with Cam, his rookie, and I knew Cam previous, and I played with Luck for six years. And all very, very good quarterbacks, obviously, but the things about Luck, is anytime I would make a play. So if I made a play on Brady, he was talking shit. Like, you know, basically, you'll never make that. You'll never make a play on me again. But, oh, I threw mm-hmm. you a bone. And he was thinking some shit like that. Cam, kind of something similar, but just in his way. Luck was more so like, like, great play, D, but like, what did you read there? Like, what did you know? Like, how did you know? Like, what, what made you jump to outside leverage? What, you know, what's the difference in Reggie's routes and T.Y.'s route when they run that route? Because I feel like you cover him better than the other guy. So he would, he would just always have questions. And I feel like he never, uh, like, forgot a conversation. Uh, and then one more, I actually saw him on his flip phone. And, um, and I just asked, like, bro, why do you, like, why do you have a flip phone? Like, you, you know, come on. Like, you, like it. And he was like, man. I know a lot of smart people who do a lot of bad things on those phones, man. Like, you know, I just, I just stick to that. I'm like, and, it, and that always stuck with me. Every time I see something come out, somebody gets hacked or this happens, that always sticks to me. That's why luck was always on that damn uh, flip flow. I put out a video, a throwback Thursday video a while ago uh, from a plane ride after we beat um, Peyton in, in the uh, divisional round. And, you know, everybody's just going crazy. And luck is just kind of like, hi. Ah, and he was on his flip phone in that video. So uh, that was just him, man. Same guy. Every day on the field, off the field. Uh, so I mean, all, all the Andrew Luck stories are kind of along the same spectrum. Yeah, not to uh, not to bring back any bad memories, but I'm pretty sure the next week Tom Brady ordered the ball boy to take weight out of Ooh. the ball through That's... a smartphone. <laughs> and if he would have had a flip phone, not only would have he not got it suspended the next year, but you might you might have made a Super Bowl appearance. And they they could have beat us. They could have beat us with. It don't matter what ball they had that day. It, we we were going down, man. They they outplayed us. Um, but yeah, that was that was an interesting. We we couldn't tell us we weren't going to the Super Bowl though. After that game, after yeah, beating yeah. Peyton, like yeah, we. I mean, it's got to be our time, man. It's got to be our shot. But uh, you know, things didn't go didn't go that way. But um, you guys absolutely. You made Peyton Manning in that game in January of 2015. You made him look old. And I yeah. think it was like the first time 
he it was the first time I think he looked like he his career was starting to the decline. And then the next year, and he won the Super Bowl next year, but the <laughs> next year it was basically over. That was the, the first defense. time I looked and I was like, oh, ugh, you know, yeah, he, I mean, he was doing them over. He was dealing with some injuries, you know, kind of throughout that year. And we knew, and that's one of the things as defensive players, like he, Art, Art Jones hit him early and he hit him in his legs, you know, kind of around his knees. It was on a third down. So I was pissed. We got off the field, we hit him around the knees. So they threw the flag and the drive kept going. But that hit stayed with him, you know, the mm-hmm. rest of the game. And you could tell. And then, you know, we just said, hey, we just got to have super tight coverage all day and force him to make you know, just accurate throws all day. Because to make accurate throws as a quarterback, you got to be able to drive. You got to be able to step on that plant foot, trust it, and put the ball there, especially at Peyton's age. So uh, we made a hell on him uh, on that back end. So uh, we, we still talk about it sometimes, that game. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was one of the great ones uh, against a great. So it was it was a good one, good memories. We could do a whole podcast on the deflate gate thing. Maybe we should do that. Oh, man. No. That'd be fun. I did one with uh, just, uh, the Quill Jackson on the oh, pod really? earlier. So, uh, yeah, it, it was crazy that how that even happened. Yeah, you got to go check that one out. Everyone should go check it out. We close out uh, every podcast now with a segment called Recommendations. So Eric and I do these um, every Sunday. It's a thing that we have either tried or been using. It can be anything from a – uh, you know, a part of your routine to a product Ooh, you buy. I got to, one. Uh, I got one. Any, anything. Um, a recommendation from Darius Bell. I'm very excited for this because I, you know, you're a great follow on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram, you're always putting out new things that you're doing. So what's what's a recommendation for us? So recommendation. Um, and I don't know how I struggle with attention deficit. Um, oh, hold on. See, my camera does too. We'll be right back, but we're gonna pay a couple of bills first. Um, if you have not gone and checked out all the good stuff at pff.com, uh, it's not too late. There's still an opportunity for you not to be behind the eight ball when it comes to getting yourself ready for this upcoming season, especially fantasy football. We've got the 2021 PFF best ball draft kit. If you have not done best ball or played best ball, it takes you through all of the basics and it's a great way. Maybe one of the best ways you could possibly prepare for real live draft action. And it doesn't require you to make any extra time allocation during the season. It's a beautiful thing about best ball. You draft once and you learn, and then you don't have to worry about that team going forward. That comes with the PFF edge subscription, which is 40 bucks for the whole freaking year. So go check that out. Also go download the PFF fantasy football podcast with Ian Hardis. He is getting you a ton, a ton of great information as you get ready for fantasy football season. So go check out all that stuff, wherever you get your podcasts or on pff.com. Also, Symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L, the stock market for sports teams allows you to trade, uh, buy and trade sports teams with a stock. So basically you buy stock of a team and then you can see that price either rise or fall. You can trade it, uh, you can buy more um, and then you win money if they win games, you get paid a dividend. Uh, It's really cool. It's a lot of fun. You can buy them all kinds of different sports teams from football to basketball to baseball. Use promo code PFF, deposit $10 at symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot app slash PFF and get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's normally 40 bucks. You get it for $10 and you get to go invest that $10 on symbol. Go make it happen. And now back to the podcast. All right. So a, a segment that we do at the end of every podcast, I'm very excited for yours here because if anyone follows you on, on Instagram in particular, you're always showing new things that you're doing or reading or, you know, videos that you find interesting. Um, and so this is a rec it's called recommendations. We try and give our listeners a recommendation, something we've done or tried, or, or, you know, a new methodology we're using a product, whatever it is that we feel comfortable enough recommending. So Darius Butler, your recommendation for us. All right. So I'll go, I guess I'll go too. so a book. Uh, Tribe of Mentors, Timothy Ferris, short life advice from the best in the world. He literally goes and interviews a bunch of different people, successful from all different, um, you know, sectors, industries, whatever. And I asked him, you know, hey, what was something you spent a hundred bucks on within the last six months that has, you know, significantly impacted you, either personally or professionally? Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the questions. And um, for me, someone who, who struggled with like attention deficit, paying attention, finishing tasks, especially you know, since leaving football, this half, half an hour, this 30 minute hourglass. Like, hmm. So I, I've started using something, you know, I'm sure you guys are both familiar with the Pomodoro techniques, 
work for 25 minutes, mm -hmm. take a five minute break, you know, complete the task. And um, that's been super, super uh, beneficial for me. Um, you know, I kind of manage it and, you know, my own schedule for the most part. So to get things done, hit certain deadlines has helped me tremendously. So I would definitely recommend that. This probably was maybe 20 bucks, if that, off Amazon. And literally, it's just a 30-minute hourglass. And I know, you know, once I flip this over, whether I'm watching, you know, film or reading something or doing whatever, um, you know, this kind of keeps me in check. So uh, half an hourglass works great for me. Maybe I should I make get, some of my own and sell them. That's, but, uh, that's an excellent tool, right? Because I think George and I approach work so much differently than each other in many ways. And... But I feel like we're both in that we're both in that realm where we can get stuck, like we get stuck on something for that long. Yeah. And we sort of like it, it is probably healthier, especially for somebody like me to like just get up and walk around every like half hour or so. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For it, sure. I know uh, even sitting in meetings as a player, like once you kind of hit certain points, all right, you know, need yeah. a break. You know, I just need to restart. And uh, so when you're sitting in this room, even sometimes I, I'll be trying to make a two or three minute video and just kind of get, you know, oh, and I, go, I gotta do it over again. I gotta do it over again. It'll take me an hour to get a two minute video done. I'm like, all right, I know halfway through this damn hourglass, I gotta be done with this video. So it works um, differently for different things. It's a, you know, it's not, I think the important thing that I'm taking away from this is that there's something about the physical, I'm, I have this right next to me. That's different than a timer. Yeah. You, know, you can set a timer on your phone, but um, something that I really struggle with is, you know, when I'm trying to get something done, I got to like put my phone somewhere else, gotcha. you know, because I, I, you know, and I think having that, um, like that physical anchor there where I know I can look at that if I want to know how much time is left, because if I look at my phone that, you know, that's, that's really not where, that's not where I need to be from a productivity yeah. standpoint. So that, that's the biggest distractor right there, especially today's, you know, you miss 25 minutes, you know, you could probably miss. Julio Jones going to the yes. Titans or something. So you're always thinking you may be missing something. So I try to turn my phone off so I don't hear alerts or anything like that. Put it up for 25 minutes. And then, you know, get it once that break time is there. So like, yeah, that's a big, big difference from that phone timer um, than this this here hourglass. You know, it's a little throwback to kind of, you know, almost makes me seem like I'm. Yeah, exactly. So I like it. And it looks good on your desk too, or wherever you, you know, there your you workspace go. is. Uh, Darius, we always appreciate it. Everyone should go check out um, all Darius's great content, the man-to-man uh, -man pod with Antoine Bethay. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter. Um, a lot of really insightful stuff from football and all the way through across some other sports. We've got, got some NBA going on right now. I think Nets and oh, Bucks yeah. are locked in a, a tight one. Yep. Bucks up four. Um, yep. You'll be talking about all that stuff as well, Darius. So um, thank you for hanging out with us on this uh, beautiful Sunday when we're recording. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon, brother. Special thanks to our friend Darius for hanging out with us on this Sunday. Um, Eric, what was uh, your biggest uh, your biggest takeaway from what Darius had to say? Well, I think he he sort of shares our sentiment on the difference between the Colts and the Titans. He's a little high on Julio, um, but I feel like he played against Julio. Like he mm -hmm. played in the league. And Julio was just was just an absolute nightmare, probably for defensive backs. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that might have that might be, you know, anybody who played against him is probably now thinking he's still a dude, you know, yep. where he probably still is. But I I don't know if I'd make him a top five wide receiver, let's say. Um, but those are a couple of notable things. Um, it was a fun discussion. The division, I think, is more compelling than it was a couple of weeks ago. for Sure. That was that was my big takeaway. It was like I was not looking forward to this division and now i i kind of am um there's two obviously teams at the top there's an interesting young team with a lot of interesting things you know it's not you know a lot of young teams have like well a young quarterback or a new coach or whatever but th this has both um it says that you know the tebow thing is like the ninth most interesting thing in my opinion actually maybe further down the list yet you young guys like lavishka chenault um who i'm very excited to play but i thought the young guy that he brought up that was most my biggest takeaway was the Brian Burns discussion, um, yeah. a guy that, um, you know, if you go back and you read some of the old PFF NFL draft guides, which you can get if you have a PFF subscription, you know, Brian Burns, super athletic, talented, productive player in college. Um, and that's interesting. Now, the tough thing for defensive player of the year um, is getting noticed if your team isn't that good. That said, it's not in the same way that for, MVP, you need to be winning your division. So that one was really interesting. And 101, 
I'm going to go through here, throw here's a few, some uh, um, shekels on that. We're, we're looking at Burns here, call, our college pro system. 2.1 is his combine score, meaning he's two standard deviations better than the average edge player athletically wow. as a pass rusher. Um, we have him with the projected 13% pressure rate. He has some pretty good like comps here, Danell Hunter, uh, Jadavion Clowney, um, even like his 2020 season was actually like in his comps. So like, um, it, it, you know, so uh, not only has he done well, I think PFF did a good job of pers- uh, prescribing him uh, as a good as a good pass rusher. That defense has to be better, though, right? Like mm-hmm. the coverage on the back end needs to make quarterbacks pass the ball a little bit longer for him to get that 16, 17 sacks that I think it's going to take for him to win defensive player of the year, though. It's a long shot. That's why you take him. Um, we will be back on Sunday, Father's Day. Um, so it'll be a special day for you. Uh, and we will do uh, a wonderful Jeez. podcast to honor um, all the fathers out there, all the dads. Um, should be a lot of fun. We'll see you guys on Sunday. Thanks for hanging out. Peace. Peace.